And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Raising capital is such a popular subject on this show, and I figured that we would continue the popularity with today's discussion. So why not bring in a founder who has been on the show a couple of times before, but someone has raised $400 million in capital, maybe even more. And I'm really just curious about what you do with all that. Like, you know, I don't think most people can count that high. I had to take my shoe off to arrive at the 400 number, but I want to learn a lot more about that. And before I introduce today's guest, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Gusto. Gusto has modern solutions for modern HR problems. Whether it's talent management, payroll, or onboarding tools, Gusto's HR platform has it all for you. Be smarter than your competitors, and you can try a free three-month subscription if you go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Once again, gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. You know what's even easier is just scroll down to the show notes and click the link because the link will take you there. With me today, I've got Sandy Kemper, and Sandy is the CEO and founder of C2FO. It's a financial services company headquartered in Kansas City, but with a worldwide presence, you can go to c2fo.com. There's a link for that in the show notes, too. Now, Sandy's been on our show twice, so welcome back, Sandy. Thank you. As we were saying earlier, it's only been 600 shows since our last time together, so really appreciate you finally coming back to me. Thanks, well, Thanks for that. I remember the first one was episode 100, which came out on May 9th of 2019. And we were like, Oh my God, we made it to a hundred episodes. It's possible when this comes, this could be the 800th episode in that ballpark. I'm just and, delighted to be here. Yeah. And we were talking before, uh, before we hit record about how it's changed. You're like, is it just you and me? And it's, it's been, we've done one-on-one -on -one shows for maybe the last 600 episodes since you were on on episode 208. But man, it was a long time ago, man. November fourteenth uh, of twenty nineteen. A few things have happened since, right? Nice to be here in person and and right and and face to face with you versus over Zoom. So I'm True. I'm, I'm grateful for that. True. Nice, nice you, to be here. And it's more of my pleasure than yours. Trust me. Uh, it's so, a, it's a, you're a good man. Well, with with six hundred episodes in between us and the last one, and assuming that we don't want to give our listeners carpal tunnel by making them scroll all the way back. I, let's go all the way back and get a little bit of your backstory and the, that at C2FO. Well, uh, recovering banker, uh, still, I used to be, a, a, you know, still I'm a financial guy, but now more of a financial technology guy. But when I was a banker, I was trying to figure out ways to get capital to companies that, that might've been having a little bit more difficulty than others. And sometimes it was relationship-based and I knew the character of the individual, but we were always involved in risk-based underwriting of working capital, which means if I'm going to make a loan, I'm going to take a risk on you because that loan may or may not work out. Your business may or may not survive. The, the thesis for a couple of companies since that time was how do we eliminate risk in the giving or provisioning of working capital? And 
what we did at C2FO was we decided that if you matched all of this account payable with all of this account receivable, so big companies dealing with lots of other businesses, paying those suppliers, often pay them in 30 to 45 days. And when I was a banker, I'd loan against that 30 to 45 day account receivable. Well, I'd take credit risk when I did that. Instead of taking credit risk now, why don't we create a marketplace that lets that big company pay that smaller company sooner, eliminating the need for that small company to have to go to the bank, to go through the credit underwriting, to go through the risk analysis, to pledge their house or to put a personal guarantee on it. Why don't we just get people the capital they need to cause their businesses to grow? And the way you do that is by eliminating credit risk and matching the money that's going to come to them in the future to their need today and allowing that business to request early payment in our marketplace. So that's it's not much of a backstory. Financial guy turned technology guy with the idea of making capital available for everybody so they can grow their business. Well, you're also a lifetime entrepreneur because I think we had talked about yeah, back to my shoe shine days, yeah, yeah, and, yep. and all of that, and you know, and once again, that episode is literally just titled entrepreneurship. Yeah, it's a good um, one. It, that had, last time I checked, that had a five-digit number of downloads on it. Perfect. But yeah, let's so, see if we can beat it this time. I, I'm hoping. I'm hoping we can. Now, I mean, speaking of big digits, man, uh, you've raised a little bit of money for, uh, for this business and, you know, 400 million bucks is a lot. Um, a lot. Last time you were on, I think you had about half of that had yeah, just come yeah. in. And, uh, I really thought that it was good to invite you back and maybe we could let people know what the hell you do with 400 million bucks or maybe what you don't. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, we started off, we were lucky. We were, and I think I remember the story vividly, uh, that I've told many times, but I remember the moment when I realized that we had won Costco. Costco was this, is this giant company that was one of our very first customers. And, and you know, I had been a banker and, and maybe they thought I was a little bit more important than, than I actually was or am at that time and at this time. But they wanted to do a site visit. And, and it, it hit me that, uh, gosh, we, we were going to host these guys coming in and they probably thought we were a big company, like five people. And so when they showed up, I knew that we, you know, we had really low-key offices, no big expenses, really careful in how we were managed stuff because we had no money at that time. We had no, had not raised anything. Uh, but the story of, of Costco was they showed up and, and we had basically asked everyone who was working for us to bring their brother or sister in so we could present <laughs> a, a larger FTE equivalent. We, we, got, we got the business, we signed the deal. But here's the, here's the follow-on story to your point about raising capital. When we signed Costco, which was a great, wonderful miracle event, right? They gave us, they gave us our chance. They gave us our shot there. You know, we're like the little company that I'm sure there's lots of companies that Costco helped build. We're one of them. But as soon as we brought on Costco, we realized, wait, wait a minute, these guys do business with, sell to and buy from folks in a hundred different countries. And so we were supply chain. So our job was to set up a marketplace where Costco could pay their suppliers early, where the suppliers could give a very small incentive to cause Costco to pay them early. And, and immediately on day one with five people, we, we had to set up a global platform. So be lucky, or be, be, be careful what you wish for. We were lucky enough to land Costco, but all of a sudden, poof, we became a global company with five people. So immediately went into, oh my goodness, we're going to have to raise a lot of money. We're going to have to figure out a way to build a platform that's going to scale across 100, now 173 countries, I think 68 different currencies, 20 different languages. So a very large part of that capital went to building a global platform to make it work with the tax codes and the requirements and, and the processes of all these various countries, all these various languages, all these various tax regimes, and all these various uh, languages. So 
unlike a company, it would have been better and probably smarter to start just in the United States and focus on that. But when you're dealing with these very large companies like an Amazon or a Costco or a, uh, an Intel, they're global and they're all customers of ours. In fact, we just landed, we just landed the, the last big win, gave us five of the top five companies in the world, well, uh, it's a Western world, now use us as the platform for paying their suppliers early. Well, you know, one thing to, to clarify for those of you listening, if you build a product or manufacture something, one of the things you're always wrestling with is the the net payable terms. And, yeah. you know, before we hit record, I mentioned I work for Roland, who does $5 billion a year in instrument sales. Now, typically when you do business with a company like Costco, they want to pay you way later. Which, which depending on where you're at or how your business is set up, can be make it a little tougher and can yeah, make, and- make it a little slower. So to be able to speed up the receivable is is really big, especially for growth for that company. So they're not sitting there going, oh, well, in that Costco check or wherever yep. it comes in. Yep. Well, and here, here you're dealing with, and by the way, Costco, is a, most of our large customers, enterprise customers, are pretty fast payers, 30 days, right. 45 days. Normal terms in the United States are around 45 days, 60 plus or so in, in Europe, EMEA. And then when you get out into APAC, Asia areas, you can see 90 even more. But but those are just trade terms that have existed forever. And, and most businesses can deal with that because they've got bank relationships or they've got flow of capital themselves. But a lot of a lot of them can't. So we've given the ability to those who can't get financing. Now, we do a lot of work with those who can get financing as well. But those who can't use us as an alternative to lack of growth, right? It's not just an alternative to banking or availability of capital. My alternative is I can't grow. I can't hire people. I don't have the cash flow to do it. I've got to wait to be paid. And that waiting sucks up a lot of your cash. Or I can't and, build more stuff. Precisely. Which might can't. take who knows however long. And Yep, exactly. And now we're in a world too where, you know, you watch 60 Minutes and they're showing you the line of yeah. tankers and, That's and, fair point. and ships that are waiting to come well, in. And yeah, well, it's a, there's, a, there's an SBA study that looked at this uh, some time ago and, it, and it's old data, but, but we use some of that data to calculate. And we also talk to some of our customers about how they're using the capital that we've given them and how this works inside their business. Uh, the formula by the SBA, and I think also the, maybe the federal reserve was that for X amount of capital delivered early, either through a loan or through early payment in our marketplace, can create Y number of jobs. So last year, we did something on the order of $60 billion of funding to companies, as I said, in all these various countries around the world. And it's been a while since I've looked at that formula. Maybe the last time I looked at it, we had done $20 billion of funding and we created 100,000 jobs. So it's maybe on the order of 250 maybe as much as 300,000 jobs enabled, created, because companies now have that cash flow to be able to get the inventory, hire people, build the product, sell it, and be paid on day one instead of being paid on day 45. I mean, this, and these are the, the delicate little things that Joe Consumer doesn't normally think about. No. You see an empty shelf and you're like, what the hell? You know, but these are the, and you know, on the flip side, on the completely other side of that, and where I had some experience with this is, you know, you used to have floor planning and all Mm -hmm. this. So, you know, so businesses can fund having the inventory in, but if any part of this breaks, the deal slows down. Well, and and look, banks do a great job as, as economic catalysts to most major economies. And it turns out that we have a really extraordinary banking system in the United States. And it's still kind of broken for small business, still kind of broken for minority business, still kind of broken for women-owned business, uh, startup businesses, new, new businesses have to be around for a while before they get bank credit. It's even worse elsewhere. I mean, if you look at adoption rates for us in India, 
great economy, lots of great banks, but not as efficient, not as effective as our banking system. Our adoption rates or utilization rates or just the amount of folks that use us in India is three and four X what it is in the United States. So wherever the system is a little bit more sticky, a little bit more wonky, a little bit more broken, uh, we do very well. And U.S. has been a place where we started, but we found a tremendous global need. And that's another reason why we've expanded globally using some of that, some of that 400 million. But the other, the other point of the 400 million is twice now we've done uh, raises to put money into the hands of our team. So we're allowing, allowing, it's not the right word, we're enabling liquidity for our, for our crew, right? We're up to, gosh, 850 people now. And this last raise, uh, everyone could sell up to 15% of their shares. So we, uh, I have no, no small amount of pride. Hopefully it's not false pride, but no, no small amount of pride in providing capital to my team. It's great to be able to see them cash in 100,000 or 200,000 or even 50 or maybe even a million. Let's actually, let's actually circle the wagons around that for a second. Cause okay. So you're a privately owned company, meaning mm-hmm. you're, you don't buy, you're not going to open your Robin hood app right now and, and buy C2FO. And, you know, maybe that changes at some point, but when Sandy's referring to providing liquidity for his team, so these are key players and people that have everybody, equity, everybody. incentive shares, yeah. whoever. So first, and, first of all, everybody in our company is an owner. So it's right. just a rule for us. You're, yeah. you're in the shop, you're on our crew. You've got equity. You're an owner. I ask you to think like an owner. It would be hypocritical for me not to enable ownership for you. Now, in a private company, to your point, you can't sell it. Can't sell. Yeah. Uh, so, the, one or of you the, can't sell it easily. One of the great sources of capital is the company just buys your stock yeah. back. And so, if you raise a certain amount of money, you can turn that money around. Yes, you can use it to fund operations, which we do. But a very, eh, it wasn't a majority, but a very large amount of money in this last raise, which was 140 million, went to allowing our team to sell shares to the company and to receive cash back. How was that received? Was that a big hit? Yeah, it's a it's a nice thing, right? I mean, you, they, they're working their tails off. We've got a great we've got a great crew, and um, I don't know the biggest issue is you know, having the conversation with the team to say, look, I can't give you advice one way or the other. Sometimes the biggest issue is telling them it's okay to sell, right? I mean, yeah. it's only fifteen percent. You're going to have eighty five left, and you know, by the way, you're probably going to get another stock option grant at some point in the future. So it's not it's um, I, I'm. I think it went well. The, the interesting point is sometimes you have to persuade people. Like, I want to hold on to this because I know it's going to be worth more in the future. It may very well be. And certainly, you know, it's gone up you quite a bit. You have some restrictions around that. Like, yeah. Well, as an employer, I get people that they're like, which, which uh, 401k funds? Yeah. I can't tell you. Well, I think the, I can't tell you. You got to make No, exactly. Thing. You can't. But, but here, you think did, about, did you, you think to, about the appreciation. Did you have to tell any of them as well? Because one thing when you were describing that, I'm thinking, did you also have to say, hey, we won't look at it poorly if you do so? Absolutely. I said, absolutely. I said, yeah. look, I, so I've, uh, I, my, my team knows that almost all the money that I've got in the company now is going to philanthropy. Uh, and my, my kids are very cool with that. And my, my wife's obviously, she's the one that really felt we should do that. Uh, so I told the team I was going to sell some shares to fund our charitable trust so we could begin giving money away while I'm still relatively young and, and able to do stuff with my kids because they're going to be on the charitable trust with me and think about how we give back to the community. So I think I de-risked it by saying that, yeah, I'm selling some. Now, I'm not selling because I'm worried about the valuation going down, though it might. Uh, I think the valuation is probably going to continue to go up, knock on wood. My first money into the company uh, was 50 cents a share. This last round was 31 bucks. So it's not a bad appreciation. I, I hope I, sh- I knew I shouldn't have waited. I, well, yeah, thank you. Uh, it's, it's not too late. I don't, I, I don't think we're going to get a 60 X, a 60 X on 30, but it, it's a great thing to be able to take liquidity. And, and as I said, if you're going to be at the company, you're going to have options, you can have ownership. 
And it's likely you're going to continue to get more options as time passes. So we've had that conversation. I had that conversation with the team, and I think it was, I think people are pretty excited about being able to get some cash. Yeah, there's one thing I don't think we talked about in the last couple episodes that you've been on, which is the foundation. And, you know, whether you're in Kansas City or somewhere else, look out for the things that can help entrepreneurs, you know, and in Kansas city is, is yeah. in my opinion, like got a wealth of that, like pun intended. Cause you know, we've got Hellsberg entrepreneurial, well, you've got Kaufman, Kaufman Kaufman's the biggest foundation in the world devoted to entrepreneurship. Right. And it's right here in KC brought to you by Ewing Marion Kaufman. Yeah. who started Marion labs. He was a guy, the owner of the Royals. Well, just a, I mean, yeah. and you know how he started, right? He's grinding up yeah. oyster shells in his basement. Yeah. And putting in them and capsulizing them and selling them. And the reason he called it Marion Labs was because he didn't want to call it Kaufman Labs, so he could present that maybe it was a bigger company than just this one man shop named after him. Sounds familiar. I might need to do that yeah, more often. Good. Just have more people. Maybe just go down and get some, some shells. people in and just yeah. have them. Show. I, I'm really I'm getting the formula here. Um, <laughs> it uh, worked but, out pretty well for him. But with with your foundation, what is that focused on? Uh, thanks. Uh, all entrepreneurship, right? So there's two. Actually, there's two. Uh, Christine and I. Uh, I married well above my pay grade back in the day. And, and she's been a guiding light for me on many things, philanthropically and civically, community-wise. She started with some of her crew, the first all-girls middle school, now becoming high school in the inner city in Kansas City. Okay. Uh, so she, she believed very much that single-sex education, especially with all the stuff that's going on these days, boys, girls, you know, there's just a lot of uh, challenge and temptation when you've got boys sitting next to girls in middle school and high school and the idea of a protected environment where you can be single sex, uh, all, all girls. And without that distraction, without that difficulty has been wonderful. It's been a very well-received school in the community. Uh, so that's one of the main charitable, um, organizations we support. And even before that, we started this thing called Yep KC, right? The idea of the school is very entrepreneurial too, right? Cause we can get them a base of education, get them smart about you know, how to live their life, go forward and be strong, powerful women leaders in our world. That's, they're going to turn into entrepreneurs, right? We're giving them education, confidence, and ability to go get stuff done. We started before that a group called Yep KC, which has now expanded to Yep Columbus, and we're thinking about going to Denver. And that's about finding young men and women in high school before they're off to college and giving them an opportunity to intern with multiple high-tech, high-growth companies in the course of a summer. Most internships are you go there for the summer and you kind of Make, co- make copies, yeah, yeah. and make, sit around and, well, and, and you've make got, paper airplanes. And you've got yeah. you've got no you've got no base of comparison. So what I want them to do is come down and hang out with you and your gig, and then come over to C two F O for two weeks, and then go someplace else for two weeks. We're giving them we're giving them enough time to soak up some of the culture to see how DeCursey does his stuff, or how Kemper does his stuff, or Watson does his stuff, or Christine does her stuff, right? So that they're getting that pattern recognition of entrepreneurship and realizing that not one of us has figured it out entirely. We all have different ways to skin the cat and, and giving them that. And then it's a very competitive process. We have five, 600 kids apply. and We select really only about 25. Those 25 then get the internship across multiple companies. They get a pretty big scholarship grant to go to college and they get to on their resume say, Hey, you know, I have 500 folks. I made it through 25. I interned at these cool companies. I learned these things. And I've also got the scholarship that was awarded to me so that I can help fund my college education. The, the reason that that's, thank you for doing that in my hometown and in general, um, we're actually giving away some scholarships in the Philippines this year. Uh, it's important to make a, Attaboy. I think it's important to 
make a positive impact wherever you do business. Yeah, and, you know, absolutely. and since, you know, we got 99% of our employees over there, we figured that'd be yeah. a good place to yeah. start. We're putting some people through school. Oh boy. That's great. Uh, and now it's also a lot different there. You can actually go to a semester of college for about a thousand bucks. That's a whole other kettle of fish. Whole other kettle of fish. We talk about how, how inefficient and how, how wrong the pricing algos yeah. are for a higher education here in the United States. True. And they, uh, trust me, I've, I've, I've pointed that out a couple of times now. Yeah. And with the internship and why that's important is, you know, honestly, just the most efficient way to t- say it is until you've seen winning, it's hard to know what winning is. Yeah. Well, and by so the way, you see a little bit of it and it, and it can really shape your approach. And, and, and you can yeah. see, you can see different styles of winning, right? So to your point, it's not about winning in a particular monoline right. method. I it's, think it's that's about important too. Yeah. I like the heterogeneous like winning. Place. Yeah. And really it's like internships are often crap. You know, like, I mean, and, I, yeah. and I'm not going to name any of the companies, but literally well, when I'm saying making co- copies, yeah, but, making coffee and throwing paper airplanes, that could have been me. Well, by the way, it was probably me and I, and I probably would never. But be I able, wasn't the intern. I would. I, probably, I was doing that. Look, here's the deal. I was no way I would have been able to get into the YEP program. It's just it's it's too tough. These kids are extraordinary. Like uh, here's a good example. A young lady named Vanessa was one of our very first gals in the first class. She had, here's an example. She's at a, in a pretty tough school in the, on the Northeast side of town. She gets recognized to go to an event in Chicago for outstanding academic achievement, but it's a thousand dollar bus ride, hotel room, et cetera. She doesn't have a thousand bucks. So what do you do when you're 14 or 13 and you get this award, you want to go to Chicago and you've got no money to do it. She and her mom made 500 tamales, sold, nice. them, sold them for 200 bucks on the street. Got her thousand bucks, got on the bus, got the hotel, went to Chicago, had this thing. You know what she's doing now? She's running our program in Kansas City. Yeah, I would hire that person because yeah. it's, uh, yeah. it, you know what, figure out what you need and figure out a way to get to it. And, you know, that's what good entrepreneurs do. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about the capital before we get too far into that. Mm. Uh, managing your team can be as easy as one, two, three with Gusto. No more late nights for processing payroll or dealing with business tax filings. No more painful spreadsheets for attendance tracking. Say hello to your new smart HR platform. Go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle to get a free three month subscription. Now, once again, gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. There's a link in the show notes. Um, also a link to go to C2FO. I, I really am so fascinated with this business that you've built, Sandy, and the, and the worldwide nature of it. And you mentioned with $400 million, you build a global platform. Now, obviously, Watson and I have some experience building mm-hmm. global stuff. We build a whole platform to manage full scale because we needed had to. There wasn't anything else out there we could do. Like yep. We had to do it because all these different things, even shoved together, didn't do what we needed to do. When you say a global platform, does that is that like meaning just having the access to capital and doing things like making it available. People trust me, if you want to make something available in two currencies, it's complex yep. when you're at 68 is, is yep. that, is that the global platform? Is it is. That- it is. And it's gotta be a platform that deals, as I said, with certain tax regimes. So there's VAT tax issues yep. in, yep. in Europe that we don't deal with. There's different tax regimes in, in Latam and South America, different again in China, different again in India. So it's knowing how to manage. So, what we get every Vocally night compliance. Yeah, yeah. Well, what we get every night, we get five, sorry, we get 50 million approved invoices into our system every night. So it's a huge platform. <laughs> Those invoices. I'm just are, laughing because I think 50 million. And, like yeah, every night, yeah, every yeah, night. Daily, yeah. And then we push them out to 1.5 million companies who are the suppliers to those large corporations who are giving us their AP. So all these large corporations send us all of their accounts payable. Here's what I'm going to pay this company in 35 days. 
So now what we've done is given that company a view of what their future cash flow is going to be. Ah, I know I'm going to be paid in 35 days. Cool, I can plan. Wait a minute, I'm short on cash. Why don't I put in a 50 basis point bid, like a half a percent bid on my invoice to be paid early? So that rate is much lower than what that company might pay to a bank if they're lucky enough to have a bank, yet it's also much higher than what that large company is getting on their cash at the bank. So the trapped value is in that sort of intermediate friction that the banks present. And banks, as I said, are great economic catalysts for the world's economies, but, but they're not efficient in allocating no, working and capital. And they don't keep up with, you know, what was it, uh, UPS or someone had the slogan of working at the speed of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, banks, not always so much. And that's what we've actually had, you know, and, and maybe plug your ears if you're a, a banker, but, you know, I have been kind of outspoken in the regards that, you know, banks want to do business with startups, but they don't know, they don't know how. And, you know, it's like you have, you have, you might have a company that had a $300 million exit and two weeks earlier wouldn't have qualified for a loan at some bank. And it's it's crazy. But remember, again, we, I came out of a, I was lucky enough to be adopted into a family that was in banking for a number of generations. Banks' number one job all around the world is to protect their depositors' money. But I mean, that's why we have the FDIC in the United States and the FDIC and the Fed and other regulatory, bur- uh, I said burdens, I shouldn't have, regulatory entities uh, want you to protect that capital. So you can't make risky loans and still run your bank. Yep. Startups are risky. Well, Small and, business and also, is risky. Yeah. And the, the main problem that I've run into and had this conversation, there's episodes about it, go look for them in the feed that, uh, you know, they just, you look at like a software company that doesn't have any assets and, and banks and even your business is backed up on like a, an account yeah. receivable yeah, as fair an point. asset. Fair point. And, you know, so that's the tough thing they have. And I've talked to presidents and CEOs of banks and they're like, I would love to be able to, yeah. to fund your business rather than do a loan against an 18 wheeler full of bolts that I couldn't do anything <laughs> with. And well, bolts, know, bolts can be collateral. They, you're, well, you're, they, you're, 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 you're a character loan. The other one's a collateral loan. You happen to be a good character, right. but you know, those bolts are pretty substantial too. Well, and then with that, you know, there's also, you talk about like personal guarantees and stuff like that. Absolutely. Now, my life has given me ultimate freedom to do about anything I want in life. As, and especially as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. but she said one thing, she's like, don't ever lose the house. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so with that, you know, I don't, I don't sign personal guarantees and stuff like that. I, I do creative stuff or, you know, like I don't, yep. you actually gave me great advice about how to raise capital. Cause at the time you taught me how to create a venture round. Oh, well, that worked out pretty well. And and, with it and, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was happy yeah. to be part of it, but yeah. it was, but, but anyway, that's probably but, why you have well, me back, but, but, but it was a smart structure, right? The way you did right. it was, was really but the smart. The problem was, is that we didn't know what the company was worth. We weren't really wanting to sell equity at that point. And we, and at, uh, 15 months of history, but still millions in revenue. Right. But had you sold equity yeah. compared to the price of your equity today, oh, no, it was too early yeah, to sell. So much that. better not yeah. to dilute yourself. Yeah. So we created our own lending pool and thank you for that advice. I've actually talked about that. I did an episode well, about that at one time. We talked about alternative funding. Yeah. Somebody's just got to be, you know, you got to be clever or just figure some stuff out. Um, you know, one thing that some of the best advice I ever got was, and this is where you talk about mentoring and why this is all important is what's easier climbing to the top by yourself or asking those on top to pull you up. Mm-hmm. Ever since I learned that, I spent a lot of time there looking up and saying, there Hey, can go. I get a hand? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, what's, what's the old native American proverb? If you want to go fast, go by yourself. If you want to go far, take your team. Yeah. Is that, is that a native American proverb? I've I don't think that, I don't, I don't, I don't think they say team, but it would be appropriation right, for me right, to say there, something yeah. else. Right. So take, take people with you because those people will help you along your way. Well, all that's, you can that's do is all you go can far. do. Yeah. And yeah, well, you're proving that with, you know, 800, 900 employees and, 
man, I got to tell you what, I deal with the complexity of doing business in one foreign country and I can't imagine what it is to unpack on so yeah. many days. And yeah. I would imagine you've got to have a hell of a lot of smart people. We're lucky. A lot smarter, lot smarter than I am. But you know, the, if you've got, as you do in your business, and I think as most entrepreneurs do, they're passionate about something. They're solving for something that really means something to them. They've got that nobility of cause. And so smart people want to work for companies that are going to make a difference in the world in a good way, right? We all know build a differentiated product. We all know met and meet an unmet need. What's hard is to make the world better in the process of doing those things. And if you've got a company that does those two things, unmet need, differentiated product, and you're making the world better, a lot of smart people are going to be to be the path to your door and they're probably going to stay with you. Yeah. The passion is a key, passion's a key ingredient. And that's one of those things that when we talk to people that we do business with at full scale, that we point that out. And we've learned that if we take someone that's passionate at doing whatever you need to solve your problem, mm -hmm. not only are they going to do a great job, you're going to be real happy with them. Absolutely. And then it just sky's the limit. Yep. So now with the sky being the limit, I mean, is this it for raising capital or is there more? It's a good question. We, we, we looked a little bit at going public and, uh, Public markets are intriguing. There's a little bit of inefficiency, probably a lot of inefficiency is what I should say in the IPO process. Uh, there's higher costs in the SPAC process. Uh, there's a lot of liquidity out there, both on the public and private side. And we decided that it was better for us to do private given the deal terms. And it gives us a little bit more time to continue to grow into our valuation and do the things that we need to do to really make sure that we've got a hardened platform fully scaled across all of these nations, across all of these economies. Ideally, we, we, generally, we want to match all of the world's AP and all the world's AR. And yet we're only at 2 trillion of that. So we have 2 trillion of accounts payable and accounts receivable in our market. The market, the global market's a little bit more like um, 200 trillion. Of just AR? Uh, yeah. Wow. Uh, sorry, AR the course of a year. Sure. All right. So then you got to figure that if it's, if it's 200 to 240 trillion of spend in business world and you're on 60 day terms, it's going to be about 40 trillion of AR. Right. And then it'd be 40 trillion of AP. Now, here's where it gets interesting. If there's 40 trillion of accounts receivable, meaning uses of cash for suppliers, I'm not paid that money. Therefore, it's sitting on my books as an account receivable. I'm going to get in the future. That's a use of cash, kind of a suck of cash out of the business. You need to find liquidity. You can go to banks. The problem is all of the banks in the world, all of the supply chain finance people, all of the asset based lending looks to me and back of the envelope math have maybe $4 trillion of liquidity to try to meet this $40 trillion need. So you've got a $36 trillion vacuum, and that's why we exist, to step into that vacuum, to provide capital beyond what the banks can do, because we, we take no risk when we, when we match capital in our marketplace. It's simply allowing a larger company, usually, to pay another company sooner. So that other company doesn't have to go to a bank, doesn't have to stop growing, but can draw down on the cash early from its accounts receivable at a price that they name. So in our marketplace, any supplier, any business can go and name their price for the cash that they want. Somebody might name 60 basis points, 50 basis points, 70 basis points, depending on what their alternative costs are. So we're not trying to compete a customer against another customer. We're trying to compete against the existing cost of capital that that customer has. So if you're borrowing at 6%, I'd love to get you filled at 5% in our marketplace. You're borrowing at 10 Love to get you filled at eight. So we're trying to, we wrote those patents. Those patents have now finally been granted after seven or eight years of us pushing for those patents to be granted. We're now protected for a number of years to be the only marketplace in the world where people can name their price for the working capital they need to grow their business. Didn't know that. 
I uh, have been akin to the patent process. That is a whole separate. I, actually, kind of my, my kids, my kids, my kids were really proud. They're like, "Dad, you're an inventor now." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah cool. Check out this patent." Yeah, so we're lucky. We're very lucky. Let's go back to the utilization rate thing because you know, out you were talking about 400 million plus in capital and what you do with it. And you know, I was uh, uh, reading one of the many articles about you and your company that are out there, and oh, uh, most mostly local. That's the other thing, right? I mean, great the community here. We love the community. We've got great folks that work for us here. But interestingly, oh, here's a company with $2 trillion of something in its marketplace, providing this year $100 billion of funding to companies in 173 countries and blah, 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 languages and currencies. And because we're not on the coasts, nobody's writing about us out west. Nobody's writing about us out east. So thank you for reading the locally produced, great quality articles. But damn. You know, what's a guy, what's a, what's a guy got to do? By the way, say, I, I say that a lot because according to Apple, we are in the top 50 of all time for entrepreneurship podcasts now, which that, is uh, crazy. Exactly. Five, they should be writing about you. Dude, there's like thousands. Oh, there's, dude, like there's, 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 there's thousands millions. Of just millions. an entrepreneur category. Yeah. But but yeah, but here we are in, in, in Kansas City, the 28th biggest market. Love and, it. Uh, I wouldn't go anywhere else. Love the people here. Love the community. It's I, I my home. You, I know you get this too. I go, I, I was, I was in Belarus a few years ago uh, and someone asked me where I was from. And I said, Kansas City. They're like, oh yeah, cowboys. I was like, no man. I like, no, city. It's entrepreneurship. Actually, it's actually the same size as Minsk. So yeah, but you know, and, yeah. and I should be asking you that. Yeah, we did, we did this $140 million raise with this great funders and you know, all those great metrics we put out there. And then my, uh, my, one of my board members, one of my longest serving, great, sincere, wonderful board members at USV, John Buttrick. So USV, by the way, extraordinary venture capital firm, one of our very first venture dollars into the company uh, back way back when. But John sends me a note, like he reads the, the Startland article. That was, so Startland's a local, uh, a local team here in Kansas City, he wrote a great article. The Kansas City Business Journal wrote a great article. All he saw was a Startland article and he writes back, that's it? Like that's, that's all the PR you get for doing one of the biggest raises with all these stats of doing a hundred billion of this and 2 trillion of that. And you got one local article because what, what the hell? So you're right. But you know what? That's the cool thing. Cause maybe it puts a chip on our shoulders. Maybe you and I have a chip on our shoulders to go a little bit harder, a little bit faster, a little bit further. Cause nobody's given us the respect that we should have for building what we've done in Kansas city. I don't think anything I've done. I, you know, it's, it's funny. So I won an award from Forbes last year and people congratulating wow. me. I, 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 was got, like, I got nothing for Forbes. I got butkus butkus from it. Well, with that, I mean, it, I gotta be honest, it was really anticlimactic because I'm not really driven by praise, <laughs> you know, like I'm kind of driven by my own, really terrible and unmeetable standards on most days. Fair point. It's yeah. not, it's not for ego for you or for me, but here's my problem. Is, well, I, was, I, I accepted that on behalf of my team because without yeah, sure. them, I'm just a guy looking for something. To but do. Here's, here's the problem at our shop, right? We're bringing on 20,000 new businesses join the marketplace every month. So all around the world, right? So you're good but, at onboarding. Uh, good at onboarding, but, <laughs> but here's, but here's the deal, right? We've got, we've got millions more that we should be bringing in. And when we have the conversation with that customer who finally comes onto the platform, like, hey, great, what brought you here? And, you know, oh, you finally, I talked to somebody at your shop. Well, what, what would, how'd that conversation go? Well, I didn't know what you did. I didn't know what C2FO does. I'd never heard of you. So, so there is it, that, that press coverage that, and that he's right, my board member's right to be a little miffed that we're not getting that because we're still in the education process of telling people what we do. Even though we're quite big at $2 trillion, we're small relative to the $200 trillion total addressable market. Even though we've got a million businesses on platform, we're still small to the hundred million we should have. And when 40% of their customers come to you and say, never heard of you before, that's a problem. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and also a, maybe a reminder that on all levels, entrepreneurship finds ways to humble you. No, brother, <laughs> yeah. Tell, yeah. tell you it's what, a, tell you what. It's a, it's a big world with a lot of people <laughs> doing a lot of stuff. Now, now hang on. I don't want to, I, we were going to talk, I want to revisit the utilization rate because oh, yeah. as it, I, I was reading and, and which is rare. I'm more of a book on tape. I'm, look, I'm looking yeah. at him across yeah. the microphone. He's got glasses on. He looks that's like a, he looks he I, looks like a bookworm. You you must that, read. That's, that's been the problem. If I'm learning how to wear the damn glasses, <laughs> and I'm also hoping my eyes get worse because they're apparently not bad enough for LASIK. So I'm like, okay, I'm really well, bad. He's kind glasses. of stuck in the in between space. Yeah. So, so you were talking about utilization, which well, I, and I think the the, the point I, I read I read a, a byline that said a significant portion, or there was a big focus on yeah. diversity and inclusion and meeting underserved markets. And you yeah. hit that earlier, but you know this is this is something that we have to talk about uh, more in business because you know when I look at an entrepreneur, I don't I don't I try to say that's an entrepreneur. Mm. Now, I don't like the tags and the labels. Now it's easier for me to say that I'm a, I'm a white dude from that lives in the suburbs. It's 46 years old. And, yeah. and, you know, with that, I've tried to always gain a cultural understanding of, of that. And, you know, uh, why is, why is that so important? Well, so first it, it small business is 50 to 55% of any economy's GDP. And growth. Yeah. And, yeah. and by the way, small business, mid-sized business, all net new job creation. Yeah. Right. So then they employ, because they're a little less efficient typically than big businesses, they employ a disproportionately large share of the population. Okay. So we have to support small biz. Now, small biz shouldn't just look like you and me, like yeah. old white guys. Small biz is diverse and small biz is serving communities and diverse in different ways. And so small biz tends to run usually a little bit more on the minority or, or diverse spectrum. Because of that, if we aren't able to provide capital to those companies, we already said that small business is more risky. Startups are more risky. In a majority-minority environment, unfortunately, minority businesses fail more than majority businesses. Women-owned businesses, again, trust me, I, I will tell you, women-owned businesses, minority-owned businesses, better, smarter, grittier, tougher than anything I've ever done. They shouldn't fail. These are These are because they are... Because they're gritty, because they've had to overcome adversity, they're going to be better entrepreneurs than we are. They shouldn't fail. The problem is majority populations, because of the way humans are wired, have a harder time with minority populations. Whether it's uh, small biz, big biz, brown biz, black biz, women-owned biz, uh, diverse biz, those, those businesses struggle. And that struggle, I think, makes them stronger. But because they, in this minority-majority world, have more difficulty succeeding, Banks have to underwrite them more carefully. If, however, you can eliminate the need to risk underwrite, in other words, loan, if you don't have to loan, if you don't have to take capital and put it at risk relative to that FDIC thing I was talking about, and you can just get that business paid sooner without having to pledge a house, without having to go to the bank, just give me my money sooner, then you can eliminate, you can eliminate the excuse of bias in the system. Right, I can always say small businesses fail more often. The big businesses so I have to be more careful in how I loan to small biz. You eliminate the lending side of it, and you just get that small business paid sooner. There's no reason for bias. There's no reason for lack of access to capital. So that's what our marketplace does. I think that too many people that haven't owned a business or been intimately involved with them know how much of a pain in the butt it can be to get just get a loan. For yeah. business. I mean, just a loan. 
you know, yeah. any of it. Yeah. And then oftentimes it, the price of it. And that's what I love about your marketplace and, yeah. and saying, Hey, this is what I'm willing to pay. And, and that, cause uh, prior to that, um, if you had to get a quote cash flow loan or, mm-hmm. or a receivables loan, I mean, dude, that, I mean, double digits. There went your, there went your profit or well, a look huge at, part of it. Look at some of the new lenders that are out there. And I think they're doing great work. I'm not going to name names because I don't want to, I don't want to point fingers, but, but some of the new, new lenders that are out there doing great stuff are still doing 18, 19, 20, yeah. 22% loans, which is better than not getting the loan in the first place. It's great to have that capital. It's a little mispriced, I think, but it's priced for risk. Again, eliminate the risk. You don't have to have 15, 18, 22% APRs. Our global cost of funding last year to everyone who drew down that 60 billion that we provided was 5.7% APR. In the United States, it was 5.2% APR. So our global mandate is to be the lowest cost source of capital for your business and the most convenient way for you to access that capital. Yeah, that's remarkably low for business and anything. Now, you know, I'm not sure I've even asked you this in the last couple of episodes. So how does C2FO monetize this? Like, where's your, yeah, what's, your, yeah, yeah. What's, what's your what's in it for me? Yeah, so the first, the first thing I would say is, you know, for all of, all of the customers that are out there that use us, thank you. Uh, second, um, no business that's using us to pull down capital pays us anything to do that. So there's no fee to be in the marketplace. So you are able to ask for your capital from your big customer to be paid sooner. And then what we do, because that customer of yours is going to pay you a little bit less, right, because you're getting paid sooner, that little bit of profit that that business makes by paying you sooner, we take a 20% share of that as our revenue. Okay. We also charge a subscription fee to the large business because what we're doing is actually not just making money for that big business because they're paying their suppliers early, but a little bit less. We're actually strengthening their supply chain. So if that big business knows that their supply chain's got more diverse suppliers, got more small business, got a little bit more hardiness because it's not so concentrated, if they've provided capital to all those diverse businesses in a more cost-effective manner through us, maybe those businesses can provide better product pricing going forward because that big business, their customer, has funded them less expensively than they would have been funded if they were funding from a bank or if they had no funding at all. You know, in a lot of those cases, you know, you look at the Walmarts or Costco's or whomever, and you know they they want to keep stuff on the shelves too. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. and you know that's why sometimes when well use Costco and Costco is a good example. Sometimes you go there, and this isn't a dig on Costco. This is just the way things work. And like they have something, and then you go back three months later, and it's not there. Uh-huh. And then it's there three months later. And these are these are the little supply thing supply yeah, chain right. things. Right. Okay, so. We've got over 400 million in capital. A lot of that goes to building the global platform, yep. which means a lot of people in a lot of places and a lot of stuff to deal with. So eight, 900 employees. We've got uh, buybacks for stock. We've got, uh, you know, money set aside to, to help diversity and inclusion. Yep. Yep. So it's easy for someone listening to be like, man, 400 million would solve all my problems. One, I'm willing to bet it created some on some level. <laughs> and then also what it like, what problems are left to solve yeah. out of business. So first well, off, did 400, did the capital create any other other issues or stuff to deal with? And then what are the problems left to solve even with that with that well, the more, coming in. And the more you raise, the more pressure there is to give a multiple against that which you raise, right? I mentioned the first money I put into the business. Now I had founder shares, but I also put some of my cash in along with some early angel funders who came in at 50 cents. Last round pricing was 31 bucks. That's a nice appreciation. But you know, the money that comes at 31, they're not looking for a 60X. They're looking for a four or five, maybe 10X. Mm-hmm. The more you raise, the higher the valuation at which you raise, 
the more expectation there is for you to work even harder. And that's a great expectation, but it does create pressure. I'm going to come back just to a second on, on funding just generally. You're right, the global platform, lots of offices around the world, lots of people. But the most important thing when you're raising money is your unit economics, right? You want to raise the money and invest it in something where you're not selling a dollar for 99 cents and calling it good. So our world on the unit economics side is what's it cost us to acquire? You mentioned onboarding 20,000 businesses in a month. Yes, great. Our cost to do that is about 150 bucks per business, which is a ridiculously low acquisition cost. I am but fine. 20,000 a day. It, well, let, let's keep going. Yeah. Right. But now you want to be efficient in how you're acquiring. So we'll spend 150 bucks to bring in all those businesses onto our platform. Now, only some of them will use us to fund themselves. Some of them use us just to see what their future cash flow is going to be from their customer. That's free. You can do sure. that all day long on our system and use Invoice Central for that. If you're going to use us to fund, that's when we get paid. That was where that 20% revenue share was I was talking about. So of those businesses that we bring on that turn into funded customers for us, our cost to acquire is about $1,000 because it's a smaller yep. it's a smaller percentage of those we bring in. Our first year gross market revenue is $4,000. So if you can bring something on for X and you can get 4X, of course you're going to spend money, raise money to hire more salespeople, to do more marketing, to do more acquisition, to get your name out there so that we're not dealing with this 40% of the customers saying, never heard of you before. So now the, the corollary to that is you can have great unit economics, but you need also to have decent revenue retention. So you don't want to have any leaky buckets. You want to make sure that that's what you're, that what you're bringing on stays on. So we're, we're very fortunate because I think we've built a better mousetrap with our, with our marketplace. Our net revenue retention is 133% per year. So we have good unit economics to go acquire. We've got good nobility of cause. We've got a low cost, convenient capital apparatus. People stick around. So those people that came in last year now are doing 33% more with us in terms of revenue and cash flow generation for themselves than they were last year. And that that has been that has been our compound annual same store sales growth rate since we started. Do you remember before we hit record and I said last time I let you pick the topic and then I gave you a hard time for making me have yeah, to hire uh, an economics tutor? Well, I thought I escaped that, but we'll have to do a little bit of that uh, afterward. And you know, yeah. like uh -huh, so. So uh -huh. if you're listening and you're wondering, it, yeah, it's it's a lot to take in. But no, this I mean, that's the whole key. That's the whole point of raising capital and venture capital. And you know, I talked to a lot of people like, I don't know if I want the money. I'm like, if you're going to get five back for one, heck yes. then, then how much of it? It's the same thing. It's like yeah. my uh, my approach to entrepreneurship is really, really simple. I test, test, test. I'm not afraid to try 10 things, hoping that one would work. I'm basically looking for a crack. Once I find it, it's my job to shove an elephant through. There you go. So, you know, and that's, but that's the key. And you, you're looking for these things in traction and it makes yeah. sense. And well, that's really the return on it. And now, now another thing is, so you say, well, if you're making money, why, why, why sell equity or whatever? Well, I mean, you to can do more of it, you to, get, to get bigger. Yeah. yeah. Once you know, you've got it. I mean, yeah. so if you're out there listening, if, if you knew you were going to get $5 back for every dollar you had in your hand, like how hard would you go out? Exactly. Now exactly. let's talk about that for a second. Cause, uh, you know, you, you clearly 
experience in verse and raising capital. Uh, first off, how what what was the SoftBank experience like? Because they're they're pretty uh, the lots they're, lots they're, of they're press, kind of a big deal. Lots lots of press about SoftBank, both both good and bad, and that's the case for anyone who's going to be highly successful. You're gonna have you're gonna have some great accolades. You're gonna have some arrows uh, in your back as well. Um, they they've been great, and one of the things that we like about SoftBank and about all of our partners is that they understand where they can add value and they sort of stay in their swim lane relative to that value. So SoftBank in particular, because I've got such a global footprint has been wonderful in our market expansion in different, different countries. So SoftBank's global, lots of investments all around the world, probably one of the most prolific investors in the world. Now, well, are you meaning more like they get you in front of people, yeah, they exactly. open doors, so they're, they're very, shorten the path to revenue. Precisely, yeah, right? Yeah. To get around that, hey, 40% of the value. people haven't heard about you. Well, let me Here's, here's my big brother, SoftBank, walking me, right. into, walking me in. Oh, I've heard about SoftBank. Great. Having that introduction. So, yeah, as you guys are building your business, you and I build our business. If you're listeners, it's like you want to amplify. And you can amplify with press. You can amplify with social media. But you can also amplify with just great relationships, advisory boards, board members, investors who, who can solve a need for you. And in this case, they've been great on bringing in large enterprises and making great introductions. Uh, Union Square was great at thinking through more platform dynamics. And they're, they're more of an early stage investor. Tomasic, which is a, a great firm, uh, investing a lot of money out of Singapore, also been fantastic for us relative to connections and introductions all throughout Asia. So you want to have local know-how to go with your national platform. Mm-hmm. And anyone that can help us with that local know-how, as I said, Tomasic in Asia, SoftBank in Asia, now third point, one of the largest uh, hedge fund investors in public companies as part of our ownership crew, making introductions to us to those other companies that they own or maybe that they've got great relationships with. That's, that's just, you know, bread from heaven. Well, speaking of arrows, I'm going to end up with a bunch of them in my back. If I don't ask you for a couple tips for raising capital, like just a couple quick do's and don'ts for yeah. those that, that want to do it or maybe do it better. It depends on the stage, right? So I would, I, we got very lucky and, and, and being able to get union Square ventures to be interested in us back in the day. And I think they came in at a $25 million valuation after I did the angel round. So they were probably at, I don't know, two bucks or $2 and 50 cents or something for their share. So they've done, they've done well on their, their appreciation. But the, um, I've told this many times to many folks that they were not the only offer we had. We were lucky to have other offers. They were not the high offer we had either, but they were the best venture capital firm we had. And the fact that we had Union Square come in on our A meant that our B was already done. Not because Union Square was going to fund it, but because Union Square's reputation was such that as long as we didn't fall flat on our bottom, that we were going to get a B because people are like, well, if Union Square put money into you at A, I'm in for B. And then then it becomes kind of cascading because then that B, which is influenced by the A, (coughs) causes the C to go, wait a minute. So basically Union Square, because we did not take the high offer, because we took the best VC we could find, our B and C were kind of done already. And, and that's what you and I were talking about relative to raising capital. You don't want to raise everything up front because you're going to dilute the heck out of yourself. So you raise a little bit and then you raise a little bit more and a little bit more at each time at higher valuations. Yeah, so my advice to any entrepreneur in the early stage would be take the, uh, take the, sounds bad, take the lowest valuation you can stomach from the best VC you can find. That's great advice. Actually, Watson and I are just talking about that in part 50 of 52. We were talking about uh, negotiating a successful exit, which Matt mm. has some experience yes, with. Yes, he does. Right? Yeah. And, you know, he was, we were talking about Vent Solutions. And, you know, at one point they had an offer that at the time was the highest one. And uh, he compared, he didn't name it, but he 
compared the buyer to being like the Darth Vader of the industry, <laughs> which I pointed out. I think Darth Vader's a little misunderstood. So this is the second days. time you brought up Star Wars. Last yeah. time it was yeah. Yoda, and you yeah. made me do my Yoda you impression. Did, you did and that on I, your own. I, I'm not sure I can do the Darth Vader impression, so I'm not going to. It's just. Oh, <laughs> man. Luke, it's amazing what I am your father. It's amazing what you'll remember three years later. Thanks. But yeah, so anyway. I, I digress from Darth Vader, um, but you know, he was, they didn't feel comfortable making the sale because yeah. they were looking out for other people and like, where are you going to get help and whatever. Now, fortunately for him, someone then came in with a better offer. One thing to remember is, and I think you kind of validated this is uh, you can't have an auction with one better. So get, get some more people <laughs> involved, you know, and then yeah. and that, oh, yeah. that creates a little bit of urgency, FOMO and other stuff. You um, got it. So on the flip side, uh, cause I, we love our do's and don'ts. Like what's a couple of things that you're going to do as an early stage founder that are going to pretty much guarantee you. Hmm. So I will even base it on your own personal experience because you've invested in a lot of different businesses. What's Uh, something that someone does and you're like, uh, no, it better, better to sort of tell stories about how stupid I was in the past. So I went into here. Here's an interesting perspective. Uh, I've had it told to me by the folks at Union Square and later validated. They won't do a deal if it's if it's unanimous. There's got to be somebody who's poking, poking at it. And they really don't like to have single founder businesses. Right. So I was lucky enough to have Pete Thomas with me at that time. Pete had been with me at another business before and been a good advisor and a great friend or a great advisor and great friend. And he kept, he basically said to me, you're going to go in there and you're going to talk about big enterprise stuff. You know, Unisquare doesn't care about big enterprise stuff. They care about networks. They care about the marketplace. They care about the small businesses. You go in there and you start talking enterprise, we're not going to get funded. So I listened to what Pete had to say. So the thing there I would say is don't think you know it all. Make sure that you've got a diversity of opinion. And if you could go to that fundraise with people who are sort of yin and yang and yet very much simpatico and, and, and sort of united around the, the, the true north of your company, showing that creative tension between multiple people is going to make that funder go, wait a minute, there's a couple of really great minds thinking about how to get after this problem. Well, and the, and the, the solo founder thing is there's a lot of people that feel that way. And the reason is, is well, there's the, what I, the bus rule. That person gets hit by a bus. Yeah, fair point. It's a problem. And then also there's, uh, you know, we talked about passion earlier. Um, and I've given a lot of advice to people that are on their way to a pitch meeting. And, you know, they're, what do I do? <clears throat> Show your passion. Show them who you are. Yep. Uh, you know, really, especially in the earliest stages, they're investing in you. They yep. bet on the jockey, not the horse yet. Now that can change a little bit later. But uh, I, I personally believe that without passion, uh, you are probably going to fail as an entrepreneur because that's what gets you through the days where you want to quit, maybe should quit, or you're standing there going, all right, I'm going to flip this coin heads. I'm quitting tails. I'm out. But passion just, you slice through that stuff. Maybe not every day, like a hot knife through butter, but sometimes you don't even notice it. And you and I talked about this last time, like the five words that I think are most, most important for entrepreneurship, curiosity, passion, tenacity, intellect, you got to have a little bit of smarts and empathy. And when I started out to your point, you were using passion as the example, I would have said tenacity, right? Cause you get knocked down time and time and time again, you got to be tenacious. You got to be able to stand up and go. So back in the early days, it was tenacity, passion, intellect, uh, empathy was kind of down low. Curiosity has always been high for me. Meaning, I, I think that's the other advice I would give to an entrepreneur relative funding. Be curious about that firm. What, what, what do they want you to do? What do they think? Where are they, what other companies are there in their portfolio that might work for you? 
So curiosity is still my number one. Number two in the old days, tenacity, passion, intellect, and empathy. Now at 850 or 900 or 1,000 people, I find that empathy has gone from down low because I've got to care about so many more people than just myself, right? Empathy's super high on my list now. So it's probably curiosity with a very quick follow of empathy with tenacity kind of going down a little bit because it's, it's more about group tenacity. I've got a great crew of people around me, all these folks, we've gone a far away, we take care of each other. And, and you know, with that empathy and thinking about the, the folks you serve, making sure that your, your crew also is united and, and caring for themselves, not just caring, meaning caring for each other, not just caring about the profit, not just caring about the revenue, but have true empathy for yourself, for those around you and for your customers, you'll build a great business. If you're clearly lacking empathy for your team, they'll know it. Oh, and, yeah. and it's yeah. real. that's, yeah. you know, like at full scale, our biggest assets are people. Same with you. Yeah. And, you know, and, and uh, you know, that's a key ingredient. Now, since the last time I've seen you, I've actually been very uh, busy studying what makes genius things occur. And uh, like uh, some people think it's a new book coming or maybe something else, but I'm just really curious. So I'm always been fascinated. I, you're, you're going to love this. So there's people often confuse talent and genius. Talent is being able to hit the target. Everyone can see genius is hitting the target. No one Nobody knew it existed. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And that's a, you know, a, a very, uh, a, you know, common thing. Now with that, there are uh, 24 maybe 25, depending on what words you want to use, traits that exist in people that are considered genius. Mm. Now, uh, curiosity is is almost the unanimous decision uh, or the un- unanimous opinion that you, without it, you're, you, done. You, you're done when it comes to the genius thing. Yeah. So, you know, I've been literally like even, I mean, I've been using some of my connections in music. I've talked to rock stars mm. about it. Like, how do you get up there at 937 on any given Thursday and do genius stuff? Cause it, a lot of it is preparation, but and hard work, right? I mean, yeah, you, we're yeah, talking it, talent genius, but I mean, it, 100%, it, it's, it, you know, my book balanced me. The thesis statement is that success demands payment in advance. And I have not, oh, I, like that. I have not proven that wrong yet. Oh, Cause you're, you're not you'll, gonna, you'll talk to these, you know, like people that just do extraordinary things. And they're like, you know what? a lot of people don't ever seem to recognize is I've done this like 30,000 hours or something, but yeah. So the, the, the characteristics that need to exist, drive, courage, devotion to goals, mm. knowledge, honesty, optimism, ability to judge in regard that they don't mm-hmm. uh, make assumptions mm-hmm. prior to uh, fact, fact-based decisions, enthusiasm, willingness to take chances. They're dynamic, enterprising, persuasive, outgoing. They have the ability to communicate. They're patient with others, but never with themselves. That, well, that's, that's the key on tenacity, yeah. right? There's no reason there, there was no reason to be empathetic when you were just a one man shop because you, you had to kick your own yeah. butt. So you, yeah. you can't be empathetic to yourself. You got to be tenacious, yeah. but as you get other people around you, you've got to really build on that empathy muscle. Uh, perception. Uh, perfectionism, meaning like they, they don't tolerate mediocrity, particularly in themselves. They have a sense of humor, mainly about joking about themselves. Mm -hmm. Like you just demonstrated that you're like, I don't want to tell stories about others. I got plenty of dumb stuff I've done. Let's Mm. talk about that. (laughs) Versatility, adaptability, curiosity, uh, individualism, meaning like they're not worried about other, well, we talked about that earlier. I'm not driven by the the awards. Cool. But I, I, you know what? So I took the award 
I went to the bank and it didn't fit in that little tube. And I realized it wasn't worth anything, man. I was like, I can't do anything well, with this. Can I get a bigger tube? Should actually, I come gonna, in the lobby? It's going to cost you money if you want to put do, in your safe deposit. Do I have to wear a mask when I come in? Because I didn't bring one. I wasn't planning on this. I'm sure to put this damn award in the bank. Um, idealism and imagination. Yeah, those so, are good. And, Send and, those and, to me. I'd love to see that. And, and, and I will. And the, the main thing that and I want everyone that just listened to that to know the one thing that I have, have learned that I think is key with this. And I really have put a lot of time into this. Um, is the, is the idea that geniuses are born and not made. They are made. Everything I mentioned is something you can be aware of, improve of, cultivate, work on, proliferate and encourage within your own business. So in fact, I, I, I actually believe it or not, my, my lowest has always been on that five word, uh, word test I was going through. My lowest has always been intellect. I see a lot of small, smart people who just do not have drive. A lot of smart yep. people who are just a little yep. condescending in the way they think. Yep. And that's, that's just disastrous around other people. So it's actually been studied, right? I think it was, I don't know whether it was 146 or 126, but it was a, a certain level of IQ where, after where you it depreciates. A, yeah, after which you become a really, really bad leader. Yeah. Uh, or uh, yeah, I, I've actually had that discussion with people. Like uh, there is definitely a point at which IQ and you're like, wow, that's like, on paper, the smartest person that is not smart enough to do anything with it, apparently on some levels. Yeah, so yeah. it's, I think you maybe just see things a little different. My IQ is like 67. I'm, so I'm, I'm 59. I'm, I'm, yeah. Well, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Keep um, all hard work, man. The hard, harder you work, the more IQ you've got. So before we get into the founders freestyle, which is how I like to end my shows, I say my shows, I'm not the only host of Startup Hustle, as you probably know. Make sure you tune in for Matt Watson's upcoming one-on-one episodes with guests. Those are kicking off in March, and I don't know what day this is coming out. Maybe you already listened to one. Tune in weekly with Lauren Conaway. I know you're a Lauren Conaway fan. She's awesome. She just got her 5,000th awesome. female member at Innovate Her. That's cool. Congratulations. Very You've cool. been a supporter of hers. And, yep. uh, and tune in for uh, Andrew Morgan. So and you can learn how to accelerate your product in e-commerce sales to, and need C2FO. Mm, mm. There you go. It's and a one-two punch. One hand wash. wash Sell it, get other. paid yeah, fast. Yeah, what else yeah. could you and ask the, for? And then make a bunch of money, come on the show and yeah. share your secrets with that. Now, there you go. Uh, you've done the Founders Freestyle before. I don't know if I called it that. But I don't I, think you did. I, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm getting a little nervous I, here. I, don't, don't. Well, I have had people sing, rap. Uh, freeze! You, yeah, you, you made me name favorite songs. Like you yeah. gave me some song, and I'm like, and I think oh, my, my, my song was. Tape. Yeah, well, I don't know what it was, but you're tape. like, what, yes. what, 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 I'm looking yeah. at you, and you were like, I don't know what the song was, but I, then you said, what do you, what do you see when you look at me? I'm like, I don't, I'm just remembering Muskrat Love. Uh, we loved that game so much that we bought part of the company. Oh, God, and, yeah, and great. we built an app for it too. Yeah, so yeah, you know, mixtape the game. Well done. So really, in the end, the founders freestyle is, you know, you know, here we are. We went past what the normal length is. It's hard to keep you at under an hour man sorry we could go forever sorry. and i know you you need to come back don't wait 600 episodes well, and, and just invite me I, I, I mean, true true well you know yeah. i never see any news about you so I, you know it's like <laughs> i'm not I even sure what c12 I'm like, does I'm like dude what Maybe, do they do what, what like, do i never heard of these yeah, guys and Damn. i'm also not in the building next years anymore yeah, so i don't point. see fair yeah, point yeah, fair are point. you you probably not even in that you don't, you don't see my pickup truck uh, yeah, well, and I, I think it's out front. It but, is. Uh, you know, it, the Founders Freestyle really exists as, uh, you know, these episodes go fast. We talk about a lot of stuff. And, you know, I want to make sure anyone that's – and thank you for coming in. I know you're busy, and I know you uh, like sharing your message, too. I think yeah, this is thank important. You. Thank so you. is there anything that you left out, any key points from today that, that stick out or just really anything – your closing remarks? Yeah, I think I, the only thing I would I – would, 
focus on is you've got such great listenership uh, as you are contemplating, you know, being, being married or being a dad or being a wife or doing X or doing Y for the first time, a lot of folks hesitate on being an entrepreneur. Right? There's, there's risk. And, and for me, you know, I, I was lucky to be in a, in a decent job. And what I didn't want to do, the thing that kind of caused me to say, I want to, I want to break away is I didn't want to wake up at age 55. I'm now 56 and wonder what if there's a lot of, there's a lot of fear. So I use that as a, as a sort of a, a false catalyst to say, all right, so you don't want to wake up and say, what if we better go do your, what if now? I think, I think a lot of people are afraid to try and I'd love people not to be afraid to try because in the end, if it doesn't work out, you can always go do something else. Don't, don't wait to try your idea. Don't wait to, to become that entrepreneur that you want to be because at some point in time, it will be too late. Yeah. I talked about that in my first book and uh, I call it the right time myth because yeah, there's never you, a right time. There isn't. And you know, that's another thing I've, you know, it, it never really feels like the right time. Uh, entrepreneurs solve problems and you don't always know, you know, you look at full scale, that is not the business that Matt Watson and I set up to start. Yeah. And we got a couple because of this podcast and you know, people we knew and everyone's like, Hey man, I got the same problem. And you hear the echo and, and, yep. it, and you know, it deserves an answer. And, you know, in our case, there, there was, there just, there was just a hell of a lot of problems with North American companies needing to build offshore teams and, yep. and the solutions were shitty and, and they needed a fix. And I, we felt that it needed to be built by founders for founders. Now, you know, as, as I, my freestyle here is, is really like, well, first off, you always remind me of the importance of the unit dynamics because this is data. These are things that mm. like you, you know, and, and if you ignore them, you're accumulate, you're, you're not depositing profits, you're depositing opportunity costs. Mm-hmm. And that's a key ingredient. And, you know, so many people, you hear too, that people are adverse to wanting to raise capital. And, yeah. you know, yeah. they think VCs are, are, you know, having a, you know, they have an issue with that. And, you know, they don't they, look, these people are, are investing in your success. They're, like they're, they're, they're not, they're highly, not Darth Vader. No, they're, they're not like, ha ha ha. I hope to take, highly, take over your planet. Highly no. aligned with you. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, as you point out, find, find those firms. The vast majority of them are this way, who are VCs who are founder friendly, yeah. right? But generally, if you're not founder friendly, you're not going to survive as a VC because word's going to get out that you're not a good person and you don't care about the founders and no founder's going to come to you. The vast majority of these folks that are out there are pretty good. My, my admonition and yours as well is find the very best one you can. Don't be greedy on price, be greedy on relationship. And, and now the, my final comment isn't about greed. It's about uh, asking. I mentioned earlier, what's, what's easier climbing to the top by mm, yourself mm. or asking those up top to pull you up. Now, Sandy, I know that you have always been really accommodating to a lot of people. I, I've, I've talked to anytime I've brought your name up there, usually someone's like, Oh yeah, he's given me advice or help me out. You've mm-hmm. done it for me. Um, and, and with that, you know, I want to encourage the entrepreneurs of the world to find other folks that have done the things that you want to do or might be like, you solved my funding problem. You had your funding and, problem solved. I just tweaked it. Well, no, you, you, well, you first, you, I hadn't considered that route the way that you had phrased it, but that was an obvious answer for you. And it honestly, I took 10 minutes of your day. I mean, I 
because you told me it's that. Been, and it's I, been one I, of my it's been one of my best investments. I keep I, looking I, at your I, checks I, coming I, into my checking I, account. I, God, I, I love this guy. Just every month, I, every month, re, every month. Like, re, this is I'm, a great deal. After you leave, I'm going to refinance it at a much lower rate through the C2FO <laughs> marketplace because I'm pretty sure that's a receivable, and I, I've been thinking that's the right thing to do. But 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 look, this is you know entrepreneurs are a community at heart. There there's a tribal nature about that, and with that knowledge transfer. It is inherent. Like there are people that did it for you. There's people that did it mm-hmm. for me. I'm doing it for other people. I feel like we do it through the show. And you know, the thing is though, as much like you mentioned, if you don't ask, maybe you don't receive, but exactly. what's the worst thing that's going to happen if you ask someone for advice? I, email me, deco, D-E-C-O at fullscale.io. There you go. I mean, pretty easy to get a hold of. And you know, people do it all the time. I get messages on LinkedIn all over the place. And you know, and I'm always humbled to know that all the work and effort and time that we spend doing this show um, is it makes a difference for sure. And, and, and you're and, you're, and you're causing that, you're causing people to jump into that entrepreneurial boat, take the risk. You're de-risking it by talking about well, it. You're giving an educational or format. The rocks when they're yeah, in the boat. Absolutely. I'm more concerned about helping you avoid the pitfalls. Yeah. Because you'll yeah. figure it out. But there is just dumb stuff you do because you don't know yeah. any better. So, yeah. Sandy, thanks again, man. And you know, uh, I guess do we have to wait till a billion in capital for the next time? No, God, no. Please, it? I hope not. Is that is. That's it's the aging uh, that occurs from yeah, the capital. I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting too old to do this. I got <laughs> to go find a replacement. We're, we're working on an algorithm. You remember how they have dog years, right? Yeah. Uh, it's like oh, what God. seven to one or yeah. something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We think entrepreneur years are very similar. Well, that's that's what they say. A year, that, a year in the life of the, you sound like Yoda, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not going to do it. A year, a year in the life of a startup is seven years of normal life. Exactly right. 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 So, oh my God, I'm like, I'm like 125 years old then. You're, you're trying, you're, 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 I am older you're by older. a long shot. This now it's been, uh, I think, I, well, of course I've done a couple of companies, but this company I've been with, uh, since boy, I think my 2008 is when we started writing code and, you know, drinking beer and thinking about patents. 2010, we incorporated 2000, 2000, no, 2010 was our first market transaction, March, uh, St. Patty's day, 2010. So yeah, that's 22. I yeah, makes you a hundred. It's like a thousand, like I'm like a thousand, yeah, you're, you're, thousand uh, years yeah. old. Yeah. And I think you get to yeah. expone at that yeah. in a couple of cases. Round up, round well, speaking up. Speaking of, since we're, we both acknowledge how old we are and it's almost 5 PM local, it's, it's, my, it's my beer time, man. Bedtime is beer time. I'm going to catch up with you down the road. All right, brother. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.